Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janet Christofaro and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Dougie. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast, and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Janet Christofaro, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is meant to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While loss is something we will all experience throughout our lives, when it occurs, most of us are left not knowing what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we hope these podcast conversations lead to a better understanding of grief and also give you some ideas and inspiration for how to show up for yourself and those you care about. So many of our episodes focus on the death of a parent or a sibling. And today we're talking about the grief that comes when a best friend dies. The best friend connection is unique, particularly in adolescence. For many teens, their best friend is the person they feel the closest to in the world. They're in contact 24 hours a day. And it's also the person who knows pretty much everything about them, even the parts that are hard to show other people. When a best friend dies, teens can sometimes feel left out of the process. They aren't officially family, and so they may not be able to fully participate in the rituals surrounding death, and might also lack the support from friends and family. Joining us today to talk about what teens experience when a best friend dies and what they need from friends and family and even in the school environment is Debbie. Welcome, Debbie. Thanks for having me. Debbie is a volunteer at the Dougie Center, and when she was 15, her best friend Michelle died in an accident. Debbie, can you talk a little bit about your friendship with Michelle, what it was like? Michelle and I became friends in 1979 after we had both moved from California to Oregon We met one another on the very first day of school and became fast friends because neither one of us knew anybody else. We were pretty much inseparable from that point forward, and we spent lots of time at each other's homes, went on family vacations with each other's families, and my mom used to say, if you punched one of us, the other one could feel it. (laughs) So a really quick, intense connection between the two of you. Up to that point in my life, probably the best friend that I'd ever had. And how long were you friends before Michelle died? We were friends for just under a year before she died. And she died in an accident. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. A couple of weeks after uh, we both turned 15, Michelle was um, down at her grandmother's house in Clear Lake. And I was supposed to also be down there spending the rest of the summer with her. But I had stayed behind to attend a party with some um, of our other friends. And on the day that she died, I all of a sudden just had a really odd feeling that something was not right. And I started trying to call her grandmother's house. When I finally got through, a family friend that answered the phone asked a lot of questions trying to determine who I was. And then he asked if my parents were home. And I told him yes. And at that point, he told me that Michelle had drowned. What was your first response? I remember hanging up the phone and thinking at the time, okay, well, she drowned, so what does that mean? And then it was, I'm not sure what the length of time was, probably just a few seconds before it actually occurred to me and my brain comprehended the fact that when you drowned, you die. 
And I don't remember the next few minutes. My parents said that they heard me all of a sudden just burst out sobbing. And they came into, they were out in the backyard. They came into the house. Through the course of the next few minutes, I had told them that Michelle had drowned. And this is 1980. So you had like maybe a phone on the wall with some push buttons or even a rotary dial. And you can't get through. There's a busy signal. And and things are so different now, right? Facebook, social media, Twitter, instant texting. Do you have a sense of how that would have changed your experience of finding out about Michelle's death if it was 2017? Because none of that existed at that time, finding out about her death became a very private and personal matter. About a half an hour later, her dad and stepmom showed up because they didn't know that we had already known. If I would have found out via a text or a Twitter feed or Facebook, it would have been horrible to find out that I had lost my best friend and that everybody else knew about it before I did. Not to mention that who knows what everybody would have been saying about it at that point. Like a lot of rumors get started about right. what actually happened. So you said the next couple of like moments after you got the phone call are hard to recall. What, what, do you, what stands out to you for the next few days after her death? Um, we put together a... I'm not even sure who did this, but a small memorial service that was supposed to be just for the friends that she had here, but lots of other students that showed up that didn't even know us or her, and that was really difficult. The next couple of days were kind of just going through the motions. I was really numb and just um, trying to figure out what it all meant to have lost this person that felt like they were the other half of me. And with those other students who showed up, you said that was really difficult. What were some of the reactions you had to seeing them there? Me, in addition to the other friends, because we were a close-knit circle of about eight of us, were angry and frustrated. Looking back on it as an adult, I realized that there could have been lots of other reasons other than what we assumed, which was that, you know, it was just kind of the whole sensational piece of that somebody had died, and so... They just wanted to come and be nosy and, you know, there may have been lots of other reasons. Maybe they were other teens that had a lot of empathy or had somebody die in their life. And, you know, there's a good possibility that it was about what their needs were. And that, that's a question we get so often from adults and you know, parents, caregivers, grandparents who are with teens who've had a close friend die. And that's one of the, the number one things that the teens talk about is how dare these people, you know, kind of hone in on what was my closest relationship. They didn't even know that person. They didn't like that person. They were mean to that person. And so, you know, as an adult, you can have that perspective. Is there anything anyone could have said to you as a teenager to help with that? Probably not because I was a teenager. And at the time, you feel like they don't belong there, that you belong and the people that knew her the best and that she knew the best are the only ones that belong. So probably in the exact moment, no and I sometimes wonder if it, even just acknowledging that to the teen whose you know, closest friend died, to be like, of course you're angry. You had the closest connection, and it feels really uncomfortable to have these people who weren't part of what you two shared show up. That would have made a big difference. Having, that, having someone, especially an adult, validate that, you know, she was your best friend. You were closest to this person. I think that would have gone a long, a long ways in helping me just accept that they showed up by having somebody else acknowledge what I was feeling in that moment and that it was okay that I was feeling that. And it seems like that was lacking for you kind of throughout the course of grieving for Michelle, of people acknowledging 
It was. It was a different time, and nobody knew what to do. What do you most wish the adults in your life had been able to do? I most wish that my parents would have spoken to someone at school and told whoever back then, I don't know, you know, counselor, your advisor, whatever, I don't even remember back then what it was, but that, that this had happened just a couple months before my first year of high school. And even letting my teachers know. And the other thing that would have been really, really helpful to me was having somebody understand that it wasn't going to go away in a short period of time. And then it probably wasn't even going to go away in a year and that things were still going to happen, that we're going to trigger it, and that we're going to come up. And I wish that I would have had, if I would have had the Dougie Center when I was 15, it would have made such a huge difference in my life. To be with other teens who had gone To be with other teens and other adults that acknowledge and validate those feelings and understand that people say the dumbest things sometimes when you're grieving. They try to be helpful. I really don't think it's meant in any callous way, but when you're grieving... Things don't land well. No, they don't. (laughs) One of the things that was hardest for me and that I never understood, it didn't understand it at the time I understand it as an adult, is that I did very poorly my first year in high school. I got really, really bad grades. I was constantly told that I didn't participate in things, that I was acting out, that I was angry. And why nobody understood or why nobody figured out, especially my parents, that it was all tied to the loss of my best friend two months before high school started. It always amazed me because I felt like I was walking around with this great big hole in the middle of me, and I didn't understand that other people could not see how much pain I was in. Were you able to make that connection on some level? I very much made that connection. I just didn't know how to to change it. I didn't know what to do to get through some of the things that I was feeling. When did that start to change for you? After I got out of high school and I realized if I was going to get good grades and get a job, I, I had to make some changes. There was a period of time where it wasn't that I felt like I had dealt with it. I just pushed it down to a place where that I thought that it no longer mattered and that it was no longer affecting me, which was not a correct statement. (laughs) That was not how things actually were. And so was there a time when it sort of burst back up to the surface or did it slowly come back into consciousness? I think it slowly, I think little things over time started, especially after I started working, little frustrations that probably would have stayed little had there not been this kind of bubbling cauldron underneath them. And finally, when I was 27, a a boss that I worked with sent me down one day, just said, you know, we do have this mental health, you know, coverage through your health insurance. Maybe it would be really helpful to talk to somebody. At the time, I'm fairly certain that she thought it was the stress of the job, which is what I also thought. And I was really frustrated with a lot of things. I didn't understand why I could go from zero to frustration in such a short period of time, and I wanted to learn how to change that. So that is what I initially thought I was going to see a therapist for. And then at my very first appointment, the very first thing I said to her was, my best friend drowned when I was 15 and nobody seemed to care. And what did you learn throughout that process of, of beginning to talk about it? I learned a lot about unresolved grief. In some ways, she was actually counseling this 15-year-old that was now 27, (laughs) and having her validate 
everything that I felt was such a positive for me to finally have somebody validate that and to be able to talk to somebody about what I felt at 15 and what I felt the few years after that. And it helped me make a lot of positive changes in my own life. You know, we talked at the beginning about the intensity of a best friend relationship. What happens when a best friend dies versus, do you think, a sibling or a parent? How do you think people responded to you differently than they might have if it had been an official family member? I think it gets swept under the rug. I think at that time, people didn't realize how close we were. Everything at, at that time in my life revolved around that one person. And it was probably the most significant relationship I had at that time. And a time when you feel like your parents do not understand anything about you and that you think you're smarter than they are. (laughs) And you have this best friend that you can share all of that with. And then you lose that. And it's not something that can just be replaced. It's not like you can just, you know, go out and get a new best friend. But I think that's what people think. If it's a sibling, if it's a parent, it seems... Um, more, I don't even know what the word is. Almost more honored in a way or... Yeah, that that would be a good word. More honored that, okay, this person lost their brother, they lost their sister. And then, you know, the school is more involved and they understand that a little bit more. But when it's a best friend, it's like, well, you know, friends are going to come and go your whole life. And so, you know, I'm sure that you'll start high school and you'll meet somebody else. Maybe that's another way to think about it too, of how if it's a family member that dies, there's this understanding that it's a, it's a permanent loss because that's a relationship that will never be replaced. And that if it's a best friend and you do go on to make other good friends in your life, that somehow it replaces that person, even though they can never actually be replaced. I mean, it definitely doesn't. And the relationship that we had, even though we were 15 and even though it was for barely a year, has affected the rest of, you know, my life. And and actually in a very positive way. I mean, her friendship and her death, both. Yeah. How do you, how do you carry her with, with you in your life today? I go long stretches of time without thinking about her, but there's always just something that's there. And for me, when I heard about the Dougie Center years ago, I knew that at some point that the Dougie Center and being a volunteer at the Dougie Center was something that was very near and dear to my heart because I wanted to be able to be there for somebody else. Not not necessarily share my experience, but be there as an adult who could validate what they were going through. To give to them what you didn't get, right? so needed. Is there a way in which... Michelle influences how you are a friend to other people? I think so. I always thought, you know, looking back on our friendship, because she was always, I guess, kind of the good one. And I was, it wasn't that I was bad. I was just a little bit more rebellious. (laughs) And so we balanced one another out. I learned a lot from her about, she was one of the most compassionate people and least judgmental people I had ever met. And I was always really impressed by that. I think about the way that she was, even at such a young age, and I bring that into my life now. There are still days when I wonder what kind of adult she would have been. What surprised you about grief? I think at first just how physically painful grief can be. This kind of saps everything and how long it lasts, and especially the unresolved grief piece, that it can that it can last for so many years. And even after you do deal with it, it's always there. And you, there are times in your life where 
especially like the last few days and thinking about doing this podcast with you and thinking back on that time in my life, I've, I've had times just the last few days where these little griefs have burst have come out or this morning in the car on the way to work thinking about her and I was emotional. And so even after all this time, sometimes that still surprises me. Does it feel as intense? Does it feel different? It's different. It's not as intense. And it's, it's not even like, I don't even know, it's not even a sadness. It's just something that happened that you wished would have been different. And I'm not even sure if what I, I mean, certainly I wish that, that she hadn't died. But the other part of me wishes that I would have had somebody at that time in my life that could have helped me navigate all the stuff that I was going to go through after her death. So there's the grief of her dying and then the grief over how your grief was treated by others. Right. Because I think my high school years after she died were very, very difficult, and they, I don't think they had to be that way. Are there any last thoughts of things you would offer to our, our listeners who may be caregivers or teachers who are working with grieving teens or trying to support grieving teens when a friend has died? One of the things that would have been helpful for me is that everybody just wants, you know, it's like you're unhappy and they want to try to make you feel better. And so it was like, let's go out and do this and let's go out and do that. And it's hard. It's hard to go out and be in a public place when you are grieving and you either have to pretend like everything is fine, which just saps all the energy that you have, or you just let yourself feel what you're feeling and then you're bringing everybody else down. So understanding that in that moment, you can't fix it. You cannot fix what happened. So ask the other person what they need. What do you need in this moment? What would best support you? And, and don't make the assumption that as an adult, you know what they need. Mm-hmm. Also remembering to ask and be considerate of the fact that people are different too and that some teens may be really hard to go out and be social and engage in things that you know your stereotypical teen is doing in high school and... For other teens, maybe being really social and busy is is helpful to them. That's why I think just ask them what they need. I think that could sum up every podcast we've ever done. (laughs) It's just ask people what they need. Just ask them what they need. (laughs) Well, Debbie, thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing with us about your experience and also just talking with us a little bit about Michelle and who she was and how important she was to you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do so. And thanks, everyone out there, for listening today. If you'd like to check out any of our past episodes, you can find them all at our website, dougy.org. You can also um, find Dear Dougie and any of your podcast platforms, so Stitcher, iTunes, or any other one you might be using. Thank you for listening and hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks for listening.